Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. And this week we are joined by a special guest. It is the digital content manager for the IMS Museum, Luke Edwards, joining us. Luke, thanks for coming on the show. Good morning, guys. Great to be on here. So, Luke, we start things off. Uh, there's some cool things happening at the IMS Museum. First off, the You Pick the Cars exhibit, which is going on now, voting ends March 30th. How does this work, and kind of how did this idea come to the minds of everyone at the museum? So, it, we're super excited about this idea. Um, as you know, we have a pretty expansive collection of cars, um, and we can't always have all of them on display. So a couple years ago, um, we, we have this basement that is uh, full of kind of rumors and folklore that has been close to the public. So you never saw what was down there unless we either brought it out for an exhibit or unless you knew somebody or worked here. Uh, a few years ago, we opened up what we call the basement collection, which is a very private tour. Uh, you can't even take your cell phone with you. You can't take pictures. Um, so we we kind of were strategizing what we want to do this summer uh, for an exhibit. Um, now, this is not going to open until the end of June, but we wanted to involve the fans, and we put out a selection of the cars, some of which may have never been seen by the public before. Some of them are very iconic, and we really just wanted the fans to decide. So we have a survey out there. Um, it's linked on all our social media platforms. You can also find it on the homepage of our website. And you go and vote for You have to choose 10 cars, and you pick your 10 favorites out of this pool that we have. And uh, we're, we're just going off of the top 15. So you can vote as many times as you want. If you're really adamant that you want to see a specific car in there, whether it's Jim Clark's pole-sitting Lotus, uh, you know, the Lotus Turbine, we have a Janet Guthrie car in there from her top 10 finish here. If you're like, I absolutely need to see this car in the exhibit, you can go vote every day if you want, all the way until March 30th. And when you look at this, are there some surprises in there in terms of the votes, in terms of obviously some iconic cars you, you feel are going to get high, high votes, but other ones, have, have, have anything kind of surprised you in the interest in some of these? Yes, absolutely. There's one I'm I'm actually a little um, a little bummed about that I don't think is as high as it should be, and that's Richard Petty, Petty's 1992 NASCAR Cup car. So that one's pretty far down on the list. Uh, so we need to get our NASCAR fans in here to to pump that thing in there. Um, I, I think the the fight to get in the top 15 like right around the 15th spot is really interesting we've got we've got a, a 1946 alfa romeo that's just a beauty um we have a record car the 1984 tom sneva 210 mile an hour car uh we've got that in there and really not many people have seen that so i think uh i'm kind of surprised that that's not in there but the the top two right now no surprise. It's it's Jim Clark's Lotus at number one by a long shot. That iconic green and yellow livery, the Lotus Ford, and then the uh, wedge turbine, the 1968 Lotus Granatelli uh, STP turbine. So obviously a jet car that's going to get some attention. Those are your top two. And then we have a, uh, a Mario Viceroy VPJ car. So 
those ones are, are pretty uh, pretty iconic. We've got a smoky Unix sidecar in there. Um, that's always popular. So, But, yeah, I'd say the cup car being so far down was kind of surprising. Luke, you, you look at the list, and, and you mentioned my favorite, uh, the Alfa Romeo, the 46 Alfa Romeo, just a beautiful race car, uh, the smoky Unix sidecar. Uh, something you guys have done for several years now is – having a car on display at the Indianapolis International Airport. So when people fly out of Indy or fly into Indy, they'll see an Indy 500 uh, participating car on display. Kind of How is that tied into what you guys do at the museum? And, and even have you had some of those cars on display that they're even part of the voting for this exhibit? Yes, the, um, the Eagle that's out there currently is in the fray for voting. Uh, it's a 1975 Eagle. Uh, that has a twin turbo stock block Chevy in it, the first twin turbo to actually qualify for the race. But that's part of our our way of greeting, along with IMS and IndyCar and their activations in the airport, of greeting people when they fly into Indianapolis, letting them know about the culture and how we're an intrinsic part of the fabric of Indianapolis here. It's a town built on speed and the automotive industry. Um, And then, of course, we have, as you leave the exit concourse, we have another display there as well. So we always have two cars there that have a presence, and it's just kind of that reminder of this is Indianapolis. This is the racing capital of the world. When you look at the collection, and it's an astounding collection that the IMS Museum has, how do you guys go about still accumulating uh, cars? And is there is there a wish list out there? And I know some of these are in, in private collections and other museums and stuff like that. How does the... Uh, does the accumulation of of content of of artifacts continue? Because I'm sure that's a a never ending process. Absolutely, uh, Jason Vansickle is our head of curation, and uh, he and I have been have been uh, working together for quite some time. Even before we were both full time at the museum, um, we were around the sport together. And his team and the collections team, the the collections committee, they're. I would say one word to sum it up is carefully. The last acquisition that we had was actually the 1986 Indy 500 winner, Bobby Rahal's uh, Budweiser March. Um, we we saw that at auction. You know, that's one of the common ways that you're going to receive one of these cars. Um, donation is another way. But right now we're, as far as acquisitions, very careful when it comes to what we're going to add to the collection um, we did have a deaccession process of some vehicles that were outside of our scope, um, and we're coming to, to sort of the end of that period of time right now. So for right now, all of our funds are directed into the care of the current collection. Like you said, we have such an expansive collection of automobiles, not only automobiles, but objects as well. So our time and attention at this point in time is focused on keeping the maintenance up on those, going through each car, seeing if it has any dire needs, if it has anything that needs attention right away. Um, and our, our restoration team is actually going through about three to four cars at a time, trying to get each one in operational condition as well. Luke, uh, taking, talking about the collection, just how many cars are in the collection? How many can you display at one time in the museum? And, and how many are in the basement at any given time. Now you caught me out on that one. That's a, we have hundreds. Um, <laughs> now, 
Now, in the basement collection, um, we still keep that pretty private. It's it's um, we've got a we've got over a hundred down there, and some of those you might see at the airport. Just kind of a little hint there where where those cars might come from. Um, and a lot of the the basement collection is, as I said, in this in this voting process. Um, what our primary focus is right now is actually going through the winning collection. So over at the restoration shop, they have four different bays. Those are the cars that are being attended to first. Um, the restoration team is pretty robust at this point. It was rebuilt a couple of years ago. We've got some great individuals in there, Dan Rosenau, Poppy. Um, we've, we've gone through, uh, we have Gary, Casey, uh, Mick. So they all have expansive backgrounds, most of them in racing. Um, Casey has a background working on helicopters in the military, um, and, and he's got a pretty um, wide knowledge of our, of our passenger cars in the collection. Um, so once we rebuilt that team, now we have the capacity to, to kind of go through the winning cars first, and, uh, and then anything from the basement collection is kind of, as I said, it's prioritizing those needs. So what needs the most attention first? But the winning collection is at the top of that list. And then uh, for people who didn't win, you have a c- collection going on right now called Second, the second place finishers at the Speedway. Uh, how many cars are, are part of that? How long is that in place? Because I know that's the current exhibition right now. So we have about 13, and and it's quite an amazing story because over 700 drivers have won the Indy 500. But we are focusing on 43 individuals who have come as close as second just moments away from putting their name in racing immortality. Um, and, and it's pretty interesting, too, because we're including these drivers that are still in competition. Um, you have Alex Pelot, you have Pato Award, Jer Hildebrand, Marco Andretti, just to name a couple, who are going to be trying to race their way out of this exhibit um, this May. So we put them in different categories. You know, that's what we call the determination category. Um, we have big names like like Dan Gurney, you know, who has won in every form of category under the sun. However, the closest he ever came was two second place finishes at the Indy 500. Even with his own creation, his own chassis winning the 500, uh, he he was just so close and couldn't quite get it done himself. So that's really kind of our way of honoring those drivers. Um, when you first walk into the exhibit, you you have this huge trophy case just full of all these other accolades and championships and, and record trophies. And it's, it's showing the public how difficult it is to win the Indianapolis 500. These, these are champions. They have gone through multiple forms of racing just to get to the point to qualify for the 500. Um, so it's, it's, it's a heartbreaking story on one hand, but it's really a, a point of honor on the other hand as well. Luke, something that I've thrown around with with Caleb, and he always chuckles at me, is we see always the, the Indy 500 winning cars. You guys have a, a exhibit now with the, the second-place cars. I've always wanted to see like the the worst cars that have showed up at the 500, like the slowest. Like I'm talking like uh, recent history. Of course, they'll talk Lotus, but the, like the Sumar Streamliner, and of course the Eagle Special mm. that's out there. Like, like, do you guys have a, a, have cars that were just absolute turds at the speedway? Because those are the <laughs> ones I want to see. Well, 
I will say the uh, the Smoky Unix sidecar, I think, definitely fits that That's category. true. Yeah. <laughs> so that one's always a comical one, just looking inside the cockpit, and, and the first thing you think is, how could anybody fit in that thing? And the second thought is, why would anybody climb into that? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we definitely have cars that um, that were failures here. You know, that's part of the tapestry of the event. Um, again, one of the one of the cars that's in the voting is a is a Miller Ford, a 1935 Miller Ford, and those had some intrinsic problems. Um, they they weren't exactly known for being successful. Um, but yeah, when you mentioned that, the first one that popped into my head is the sidecar because uh, Bobby Johns tried to drive it. You know, NASCAR legend, and and uh, it, it scared some people. I think just trying to get it around the four corners at Indianapolis here. Luke uh, Edwards from IMS Museum joining us. Also, something going on recently, just announced the 2023 IMS Hall of Fame class. Surprising both these individuals, not part of it, but Team Penske President Tim Sindrick and Tony George, uh, former IMS President CEO, of course, developed the Safer Barrier, uh, saw NASCAR, F1, and MotoGP, and the road course all come to the Speedway. Uh, you guys do these classes every year, but this is a, a pretty big name uh, class to enter this year. Yeah, we're so proud to be inducting these two individuals into the Hall of Fame. Um, obviously, Tony George had 20 years um, as the president of the Speedway, and uh, any race fan knows that he brought so much to, to Indianapolis. I mean, he brought Formula One here. He brought them back to the States. Um, he brought MotoGP here, and of course, NASCAR, and, and that's ongoing you know that that's a relationship that's continued to blossom and and it's going to be a long-term relationship here at the indianapolis motor speedway so to honor him and to get him into the hall of fame where he belongs is, is just a great honor on our part so excited to to um go through this ceremony um and the ceremony also can be attended so that if you go to our website imsmuseum.org you can uh you can see the information there on uh on attending the event it's going to be a really special event we're, we're doing some new things with it this year um and of course tim sendrick the president of of penske team penske um you know he was elio's strategist for his first three wins so his first two visits to the indy 500 you know he played that role and and helped elio cross the finish line first just um amazing to have him here we've we've done some events with him in the past and we're just so excited to have both of them honored together also another thing about it i, I mean they're hoosiers right so that it's got to feel extra yeah. special f- for everyone there at the museum yes two hoosiers and i mean these individuals are chosen out of great care you know we had a ballot of 14 nominees uh, we have a national panel of uh, over 150 journalists and historians so it's a lot of thought and an effort goes into who we induct every year. Luca, before we let you go, just to people who have never been to the museum, um, what are some things they should expect? What are some things they should take part in at the museum, whether they're coming in May during the month of May for the Indy 500 or just coming, uh, for example, this week uh, in middle of March, what should people expect? So it's, it's just kind of, hallowed ground you know you drive down 16th street you go underneath the stands underneath what we call tunnel two here and you come up through there and we're the first building that you see 
It's, uh, you know, the brutalist architecture on the outside of the museum. It's just like this. It has a presence about it. Um, so when you walk in, I, immediately you're going to see the winning collection of cars. We have the largest Indy 500 winning collection, um, and and we're augmenting that collection through not just our social media, but, you know, now we have some sights and some sounds that we're including around the car so you can hear what some of these are like as we continue to, to dive through the footage and dive through the digital content in our archives uh, we find new stuff, it seems like, every month just to kind of help tell those stories of the individuals and the and the machines that they, they raced here. Um, as we mentioned before, second is ongoing. So if you're planning on coming here leading up to May or during May, that exhibit will still be open all the way through the Indy 500 uh, to celebrate those 43 drivers that came so close to history. Um, we have an exhibit in the back called Tradition, and there's some interactive stuff back there, too. So... If you want to race your buddy on a simulator, try to get bragging rights of fast time that week. Those are in the back of the museum. Uh, we have a photo opportunity, so you can climb inside an Indy car and get your photo taken to remember being here. Um, we have a lot of announcements coming down the pipeline, too. Obviously, we just had the huge Hall of Fame announcement, but stay tuned over the next couple of weeks because we have several more announcements coming out, just some exciting things to share with the fans. Um, we have events that are going to be continuing to roll out. Some of them are member exclusive. Um, we, we do Fuel Up Fridays where we have a special guest come in, and it's Friday morning, so you get some free coffee. You get a, um, have a Q&A session with a racing legend. Those are member exclusive. But then we have these evening with events. Um, our next one that we announced is Pato Award in April. Um, so he's going to be a great time. You know, he's full of energy. Um, and he'll be talking about, it'll be right after the Long Beach Grand Prix. So he'll be talking about McLaren's exciting start to the season. Um, and those have a Q&A session at the end as well. And, and those are open to the public. So, yeah, just stay tuned on all of our socials. It's at IMS Museum across the board. Uh, we even have a TikTok for our younger audience now. And then, of course, um, our website, imsmuseum.org. And don't forget the photo room, right? That's the kind of the hidden secret of the IMS Museum. Yes, absolutely. On the second floor, you can go up to the photo room. Um, so that's just our, our photo archive. And what what's really interesting is whenever you see a lot of photos that we're posting on social, so on and so forth, that's where we get that. It's all from the archive. So um, they, they share those with us. But if you ever see a picture... And you're like, man, I would love to have that printed out. I'd love to put that in my house or, or get it framed for my office. Um, just go to the photo lab and, and you can get it any size you want, print it any way you want. Before we let you go, do you have a favorite car as part of the collection? Now, that's a really tough question. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, it changes by the week. Um, I, I always am fond of the cars that I grew up around, of course, you know, so the, uh, the, the mid-90s cars, we have the, the Ari Leyendijk 1996 record-holding car, the record speed qualifying car. Um, that's always at the top of my list. Um, but I, I have to say it always comes back to, um, well, we can't really have favorites. I'll say that first of all. <laughs> but I am quite fond of the 1982 winner, Gordon John Cox Wildcat with the Cosworth V8 Turbo. Um, I never get tired of watching the last 10 laps of that race. His duel with Rick Mears, 
just such an iconic vehicle in and of itself. And, and Gordy's such a, such a great character in the history of the Speedway here. So, and it looks good too. You know, it's got the, uh, the petty SPP blue and the, uh, and the orange on there or the red on there. So it's just, I, I like that era of car. The, the late eighties cars are pretty wild. Luke Edwards, digital content manager for the IMS museum joining us. Luke, thanks so much for taking the time today to, uh, give us, uh, all the happenings at the museum. So great to be on here. Really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, hopefully we get to see you guys in May and, and yeah, we'll, we'll be listening. We are definitely looking forward to coming out in May. Uh, hopefully carb day. That's our, our plan for now to participate in carb day, maybe do a live show out there, but Luke, thanks for the time today. Thank you guys. Thanks to Luke Edwards from the IMS museum for joining us. Good stuff there. Good, good things going on at the museum and an exciting time built building up for the month of May. And obviously a lot bigger crowds, I'm sure over at the IMS museum and, and everything they do. And so the other things we want to get to, I think the first other big story so there's the tested barber. We're not going to dive into testing times and break them down. Uh, Penske was fast. We should not be surprised by that because Penske and Barber, Joseph Newgarden, look, this is a track they'll have success at. Just, it is what it is. Unlike Indy. <laughs> True. At least recently. Uh, but I think the main story to come out of that test, Jack Harvey not cleared by the series medical staff to take part in the test earlier this week at Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, Yuri Vips, a uh, former Formula 2 driver who's, I believe, tested with the team in the offseason. In fact, he did test with them at Sebring back in October. He participated in the test. Now, if he's cleared, his next race for, for Harvey will be April 2nd at Texas Motor Speedway. You got to remember, he missed that event last year after crashing in practice, had a concussion. I have not seen any word as far as what the injury is for Harvey. I don't know if it's a concussion issue, if it's something else. Jack Harvey's just lucky that there is a significant break between race one and race two. That's yes. For sure. Yes, absolutely. So uh, Yuri Vips, 22-year-old, standing in. Um, this is this is an interesting situation because it, it feels like history repeating itself with Jack Harvey. And as we told you last week, uh, Marshall Pruitt reported in his Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan season preview that Ryan hunter Ray is apparently waiting in the wings to take over if Jack Harvey struggles to start the season. Now, it was not his fault as far as the crash at St. Pete, but if he misses a race, comes back, and you're not going to come back and be completely locked in, right? I mean, it's just, unfortunately for Jack Harvey, not a good start to the season. Uh, Yeah, and for him, any any lost opportunity is just more ammunition for somebody potentially looking at uh, Ryan hunter as being in that seat later this year. So not good, but hopefully Jack Harvey can get healthy. I will say, as much as we don't put um, much stock into testing times, the fact that Yuri Vips, Augustine Canapino, and Stingray Raub are all better than Simon Pagno, who was last, I'm just throwing it out there. For a team that we've had kind of questions about entering the season, I thought that was um, that was an interesting development. So for Texas, if Harvey, for some reason, and again, we got two more weeks, right? So there's there's plenty of time as we record this on March 15th. It's two weeks away from even being race week. And, and even then you throw in a couple extra days uh, before everything gets underway. April 1st, 
He should be good to go. Yes. It, one would think he's good to go. If he's not, where do you, do you look at Hunter A? I, I mean, I don't think you're bringing in Catherine Legg. Because uh, I think are you there's bringing a, in Yuri Vips. I, I don't, don't think so. I mean, he's he'd have to pass an oval test, and that's that's true. Ask. I forgot it was a Texas. Um, I would feel like Ryan Hunter Ray's that guy. I would think so too. It's just it's something to keep an eye on that I think we did not expect, especially after Harvey basically all but said, you know, he he'll be fine after the crash. But again, but I think also if if the team felt if Ray Hollerman Lanigan felt like. Jack Harvey wasn't going to be ready for a couple weeks in, at Texas. They probably would have tested Ryan Hunter Ray just to get him to shake the rust off and all that True. stuff. So I think this was a Jack Harvey will be fine. We'll put Yuri Vips in for this test. So we'll see how that plays out, but definitely something worth keeping an eye on moving forward. I'm sure we'll have an answer in a couple weeks' time, you know, leading into that race week and how things are. I don't think it's going to come down to the last minute. I mean, again, last year the crash was in practice. It was a very hard hit. It was kind of back and forth uh, as far as would he be available to participate. He was not. Santino Ferrucci stepped in, had what? I think three or four kind of warm-up laps that Sunday morning, a race morning, went out and finished ninth. So it's it's a possibility for success for someone to step in, but I don't think that's going to be the case here this year. Not a, Those are exceptional situations, exceptional uh, are exceptions, extreme exceptions to the rule, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to... So, Ferrucci, uh, as far as how he did in that race last year, yes, it was it was a one-off. He did quite well, but also you got to remember all the carnage where you had half a dozen guys taken out early on in that race. True. It was all about attrition and staying out of trouble. So that's one of the main stories this week. I think the other main story, uh, Marshall Pruitt, racer.com, putting this story up. And this is something I uh, we were going to talk about regardless because after St. Pete, and I get that St. Pete's been moved up earlier here in recent years. Last year was the end of February. This year, the very beginning of March, not in that m- typical mid-March time slot like we had before. But usually right around or right after St. Pete, we pretty much have the Indy 500 field at least in recent history, figured out, and you know where guys are, are going to be, guys and gals are going to be, but we still have question marks. We have 32 confirmed car and driver combinations. Uh, we have a 33rd, that the second dry and Reinbold car. We don't have a driver, and that continues to be the case. Uh, they have not named a driver for that entry, and again, we expect it to happen. Marshall Pruitt, racer.com, basically saying, yeah, that entry will happen. There's a driver in line, but not been named. So who is it? Do you, do you think it's J.R. Hildebrand going back with the team? It probably is. And then from what it sounded like is drivers were told that may be interested in that seat that no, that driver, that seat has been taken. I imagine it's a sponsorship thing. Everything getting uh, squared away behind the scenes before they officially announced J.R. Hildebrand, but no indication, at least to me, that um, that it's going to be any different in terms of who's in that seat. The specific wording that Marshall uses in this story, only one awaits the public confirmation of its driver. And as racers learned, a few drivers who held out hope of lending that 33rd seat were informed the IndyCar uh, opening round at St. Pete. That uh, opportunity was no longer available. So you would assume yes. it is the second dry and ramble car because that, that's the only other entry that is known. Correct. Now, 
As far as where that stands, Chevy with 16 entries, Honda 17. The 17th lease uh, is the last for Honda, and that was assigned to Catherine Legg, so they're not going to add a car. So that would put Jimmy Johnson out of the picture, right? Uh, not that yes. I think he was going to be in the picture, especially after he announced he's running Coda right. in the Coca-Cola 600 as far as his NASCAR schedule. But you can basically take him off the table as far as being a fifth entry at Ganassi. So Chevy still has some space. So Marshall's saying that Foyt Racing, they're looking for primary sponsors for both entries. Uh, Foyt told Racer if they're successful, that would create a need to run a third card Indy to represent longtime partner ABC Supply. So if they're unable to acquire primary sponsors, one of their drivers will get ABC colors and they'll stick with two cars. So that seems like a bit of a long shot. Two months away, two plus months away, yeah, it does seem like a long shot. Maybe something comes in, and, and this is the thing. It's not just one primary sponsor. It's a primary sponsor for two cars to then free up ABC Supply. So seems like a long shot to me. I know there are some people out there that want to get to 34 that have some sort of bumping. If it's going to be 34, I'd just prefer it to be 33. Unless it's 35 or more, I'm not interested. So just get 33, come up with some scenario where you can try to make it bump weekend exciting and qualifying weekend exciting that won't deliver because there's only 33 cars, kind of move on and move on to the race. Also, I mean, you look at it and it feels like, yes, there, there are drivers out there, but obviously for Foyt, for example, this would be a turnkey operation where right. if they get a third entry, the sponsorship's there. So they can go out and hire somebody. But who do you hire this late in the game that's going to accept the ride? I, I mean, we, we did have Sage Karam's dad mentioned on Twitter the other week about right. you know a top-level IndyCar team has a ride for the Indy 500, just need to raise sponsorship. Is that Foyt? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I I, I don't know. I question the validity of it. Not not saying that he's he's posting something that's not true, but maybe misunderstood. I don't know, but it seems like no other indication of that being a thing. I I just seem I feel like it's thirty three. I think getting to thirty four, what's the point? Because you're going to bump somebody. I yeah. just assume and, and that doesn't that doesn't benefit anyone. No, not at all. Just that, like you need to have more than one car getting bumped for it. One to feel significant and relevant. And two, it's just like a waste of an entry. And Honda and Chevy don't want to do that. Now, if we're no. talking two or three, yeah, that changes the game a bit. But I don't think we'll see more than 34. The other option, this one feels a bit out of left field, Able Motorsports. Marshall's saying that team was actually spoken of last year as wanting to take part in the Indy 500. Um, they want to move up to IndyCar. And they're the other option. Uh, Pareto Autosport uh, team owner, Beth Pareto, searching for opportunities to make a return to the Indy 500 where they had their start in 2021. That That's another one where this late in the game, yeah. if you don't have everything locked up, it feels like a long shot. I think those options, if you're at 32, sound promising, but why would Able Motorsports stretch itself personnel-wise and monetarily to be a 34th with a team that has a history of not qualifying for the Indianapolis 500? what sense does that make? Why rush things? And you would, you would expect that the businessmen and uh, in this sport would understand that, that the economics don't really make sense trying to do everything you possibly can to 
just put a car out that could potentially qualify, but maybe not. Also, the thing is, like, you want to partner with an existing team, at least with some sort yeah. of technical partnership, and that's going to be pretty tough. I, I just think this is a thing where, okay, maybe I could see, like, Foyt and Abel combining right. for that entry, but I don't see Abel doing it on their own and not having some sort of partner uh, with an, uh, an existing IndyCar team as part of the process. And I think if you're Foyt, like, just focus on your two, right? I mean... To me, you have enough problems with guys missing races and, and being able to put a program together, uh, a competent program together. Just worry about two. Don't worry about added bullets in the chamber. Just make just make sure your two bullets actually are, are qualifying well. And I, I think we'll we'll get an interesting look at Texas now. Benjamin Peterson, a bit more of a long shot as a rookie, but Santino Ferrucci. Look, we we know he can run well in ovals. What can he do in a fleet car in an oval? This will be fascinating to see at Texas. And you know, if he has a good race, does that maybe open the door? Possibly. I mean, we've seen him get sponsorship for the Indy 500 as far as one-offs in, in recent years. So it's not out of the question. But again, needing both cars with primary sponsors for Indy, that makes it a lot more of a long shot. Yes, Benjamin Peterson has the Oberto Beef Jerky connection. Um, I believe... I don't know if his family owns it or or what exactly. So like, yes, it, it's an option, but probably not a prefer. Like, I'm sure the family is like, hey, you need to. We'll step in, I guess, if we have to, but we'd prefer not having to. Just because you have this avenue, trust me. Um, just because I have an avenue to people that may have more money than me doesn't mean that I'm privy to it, kind of thing. They're they're usually True. told, hey, go, go figure your stuff out. Before you come to me, it's kind of like when you're growing growing up and your parents eventually say, look, we're tired of giving you money. You need to start figuring it out on your own, going out and, and doing that. So just because you have a fallback of, oh, my dad owns a, a company or has close ties to a company or whatever, doesn't necessarily mean that's just a free flowing resource all the time. So I think this is one of those where they're Seattle based and Benjamin Peterson is from Seattle. I think they've sponsored him in the past in Indy Lights. So that's a possibility. Now, does that mean he's going to get the sponsorship? No. It just means that they've had that relationship in the past. Now, would it make sense for them to sponsor him in the Indy 500? Absolutely. You got to remember, they sponsored Marco Andretti in IndyCar races in previous years. So this is not like a long shot. I'm just saying it's an option, perhaps. But like you said, Foyt needs to get the sponsorship first, then focus on the third car. Now, that third car would be funded. That's the thing. True. ABC Supply would fully fund that third car. So it's a legitimate funded entry if they can get their ducks in a row for the two primary entries. And that's got to be paramount right now. Yeah. Uh, US, ABC Supplies is going to be on one of the cars, whether it's one, two, the nefer- one or the second or the third. Right now it's just two. But if they can find, again, some primary sponsorship for those first two, then they add a third. But at this point, it, it's not looking great. So that's a look at the other big stories this week. If uh, you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for your interaction. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free to subscribe. You'll get uh, emails with our episodes. Also, any other special announcements that we have coming out, uh, you'll be on the email list. Thanks to um, so many of you who have subscribed to the email list. Really appreciate it. You can also check out the store. We have stickers for sale. Get a sticker for your cooler for race weekend. 
Uh, get a sticker for your laptop, for your car. Uh, these are these are good stickers. So uh, we have stickers for sale in there. Also, T-shirts for sale. If you want to get a T-shirt for the podcast uh, ahead of the Indy 500, uh, you can order those on there as well. On social media, IndyCar Podcast is the handle on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. Our email is NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can listen to us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Player FM, Amazon Music, Podbean. We're on Podbean. So many different platforms uh, you can listen to us for free. All right. Mailbag time, Justin. A few things to get to. Not not a lot. Not that that's a, a big surprise, but a few things to get to this week. First off, uh, we got to give a shout out to one of our listeners uh, for giving us a five-star uh, rating on Spotify. Love the show. Thanks to Kojo617, Corey Johnson. So oh, thank thanks. you. Thanks thank for, you for lying <laughs> and rating us five stars. I mean, we'll take whatever it. works, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll take it. We will take it for sure. Also, uh, some other things coming in on the Twitter machine. Let's see here on the list this week. So R. Cole, uh, who gave St. Pete a 9.1, says the point one is for the career IndyCar top five uh, Callum Eilat has. as He got his <laughs> first career top five. So congrats to Callum. And that, that's the explanation. This from Poet Shevchenko. I've got plenty of time to say this before the next race, but it has to be drilled into race control in the driver's heads that the field should not be bunched up at the start of TMS, not with 27 cars and many rookie drivers not accustomed to oval racing. Start of that race is just going to be fascinating, and uh, sadly, I expect it to be a cluster. Yes, I absolutely do too, and some people say of the starts, and and we're as vocal as anybody about the the crappy starts they sometimes have. It, I would I would feel more comfortable if TMS was a little bit more spread out than they usually are. That's for sure. I agree. So that is a look at some of the entries, and then uh, someone else reaching out to us via email. This was uh, again new track record podcast at gmail dot com. And I I'm sorry I missed this. I think last week. So I'm getting to it now. This from Joe Deppy, and just. Pretty simple. Discord. Have you guys considered making a Discord server? Sorry if there is one and I miss it, but it could be fun to interact with other listeners. You know, I, I've heard people talk about this. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what that means. My son had Discord for a while until I got on there and seeing him do things that he should have been doing as a 13-year-old and saying things he should have been <laughs> saying. 13-year-old. Is it kind of like a Reddit thing? I think so. It's like a like a, but a group chat, if but you will. Yeah, it's like a group chat thing. So I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not up on such things. Yeah, we're we're not internet savvy enough. Like, just I, talk to us on Twitter. Yeah, or I mean, they sent us an email. I I get it. Eventually, we got to catch up, right? Do we? We're, like, we're probably not ever going to be on TikTok. That's just the no. reality. No, but like di- is Discord, this maybe. A thing? I don't know. I don't. It's this stuff is above our heads. We're not smart enough for that explain kind of thing. Explain it to us. Take, take, explain it to us like we're five. I've, I've had someone try to explain it to me and it, I feel like I was left more confused. Even like Reddit is like a big deal, but you go to Reddit and it looks like I'm just transported back in time to like 1996. <laughs> I'm like, how is this popular? It's kind of like Minecraft. Yeah. Like my son plays Minecraft. Oh, I look at it. I, like, I don't get Minecraft. I don't think like this looks like MS DOS 1994. <laughs> 
Uh, well, the I, graphics are terrible. And yeah, yet, but yeah, kids are infatuated with it. So I, I don't get the whole thing. But explain, explain Discord to us. Explain what advantages it would be. I'm not against it. I just don't know enough about it. Uh, to me, it's uh, sadly, I'm in my mid 30s now. You're 40. I am 40. We're at that point where, uh, wait, we have to learn another thing. Like, yeah, that's just another thing. It's sad, but I, I think we're at that stage. We do social media. We do. We we post this thing on, on all the entities. You do, not me. <laughs> um, what else do you want from us? If Discord makes sense, if there's enough people interested out there for a Discord, maybe we'll look into it. So let us know. Yeah, just let us know. But that wraps up a, a very shortened uh, mailbag for us. All right. Time for news and notes for this week. Plenty of little items to get to. Uh, Adam Stern talking with the the GP of Long Beach CEO, Jim McCalin ticket sales actually trending slightly ahead of where we were last year. We're very delighted about the way sales have been going so far that from lbbusinessjournal.com. So the Long Beach business journal. So things looking positive ahead of that race, which is a month from now. Not that it's a surprise that that events kind of had a rebirth in the last several years. Here's my philosophy with ticket sales. If, People are vocal that ticket sales are up, then they're up. If there's no talk about ticket sales, then they're down. That's true. <laughs> it's kind of like true. It. It's kind of like TV ratings, right? If they're quick to get those out, that means they're probably up. If it's going on Wednesday without hearing a TV rating, it's probably down. Some other news: Toby Sowery. Now that name's familiar. He drove in lights last year. Yeah, he will drive the number fourteen in place of Josh Pearson. So this is the part-time entry that we knew going into the season uh, for uh, what HMD Motorsports. One of their nine? Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually nine, right? Yeah, it's yeah, nine. It's, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> like you say that and I think you're joking that you're like, no, no, it's true. That's legitimate. So yeah. Toby Sowery will drive the number 14 in place of Josh Pearson at Barber, Detroit and Laguna Seca because Pearson will be competing in WEC uh, during those races. So he uh, returns for a partial program, so congrats to him getting that spot back. Uh, he scored HMD Motorsports' first victory, a 2019 Portland Grand Prix, finished third in the season standings that year. Uh, so he's getting a, a chance back in Indy NXT, aka Lights, uh, competed in 2019 and 2021. Again, no Lights season in 2020. So a chance for him to to get back into a path for IndyCar, so congrats to him on that. Also, they had uh, the 100 Days to Indy at South by Southwest. There are a couple of videos uh, posted on Twitter of the panel, and look, everything looks positive. Uh, Abby Rakshit, I hope I said that correctly, um, with a posted a preview video on her Twitter uh, that you can check out for that. We'll see uh, what what becomes of it, but they already had a clip featuring the Grosjean McLaughlin crash. Okay. So it's a good start, right? Well, I, I guess I just, um, I don't know. I, I'm tempering my enthusiasm for hundred days to Indy. I'm, I'm just basically seeing a, a, a recap of the season so far heading to Indy. That's kind of what I'm, I'm looking at. Is there going to be anything added? And I don't mean just, okay. Conversations with drivers that doesn't add anything what what added value are we getting from 100 Days to Indy? Like, truly 
tangible added value that's going to bring in new fans because that's what this just directed towards it's not directed towards mm-hmm. you or me right so we need to keep that kind of in a bubble but at the same time what's going to be the dig what's going to be the hook what's going to be the draw for more people to watch the show and then say yeah i want to try a try out an indycar race and watch one what so there, there were several drivers participating in a panel at south by southwest uh this week in austin Pato award alexander rossi uh, they're on a panel with Lindsay Zarniak, who you probably recognize the name, broadcaster. She did pre-race for the Indy 500 on ABC in, in previous years. And then the 100 Days to Indy director, Pat Diamond, uh, all part of a panel. Now, the, the interesting takeaway from all this, so they had the panel and everyone had positive things to say. KXAN, which is the NBC affiliate in Austin, uh, called Alexander Rossi, Andrew Rossi on Oops. a lower third. Andrew Rossi, Aaron McLaren, IndyCar team member. Oopsies. Yeah. So we had uh, uh, Kirk Kirkwood last year. <laughs> now we have Andrew Rossi this yes, year. Yes, apparently. That courtesy of Out of Context IndyCar. OOC IndyCar on Twitter. Uh, very funny account. Just Again, it's screen grabs. It, it's funny stuff that you see. So that's really, unfortunately, the big takeaway from that. Um, Woof. Let's see what else we we mentioned the IMS uh, Hall of Fame class Tim Sindrick, Tony George, pretty much givens that they were going to make that right. Um, Probably, I'm sure some people have some opinions on Tony George being a Hall of Famer, but he was going to be in. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and the safer barrier alone should have totally. been enough to get it. We had uh, Ryan Hunter Ray and James Hinchcliffe is announced they're going to be honored at Long Beach uh, for the Motorsports Walk of Fame next month. Both won uh, races there at Long Beach. Indy 500 uh, up for best motorsports race on 10 best. Uh, you can uh, find the link. Uh, the IMS, their Twitter, they have it. Uh, you can vote every day for that event. And Paul Feinbaum, Mr. Yeah. SEC. This is really cool. And I think this is one of those things that may not seem like a big deal to people outside of IndyCar. But if you follow IndyCar and college football, this feels like a huge deal. Um, Paul Feinbaum, who is the voice of the SEC, if you will, Mr. SEC, he is the Grand Marshal for uh, the Barber Weekend, April 28th to 30th. Hopefully he'll mention this on his radio show uh, that's also simulcast on SEC Network, and, and hopefully this will get some buzz because this seems like, again, if he even mentions it, seems like a pretty big deal. Totally. And you and I are both college football and auto racing guys. So this is a pretty cool crossover and uh, love Feinbaum and cool to see him uh, at Barber. And hopefully he makes it a big deal on his show. Yeah. And and in in the social media world and everything, because a dude that tells it like it is a very much a refreshing uh, type of uh, dude, maybe I guess we comparable to this podcast. I think we're pretty fair, positive and negative. So pretty cool to have him on board and barber but what about bama paul <laughs> we we need regulars <laughs> like he has regular callers on uh, that who who is the the there's a lady who's like a regular there is caller. a lady that's what's her name is I it doris doris or pam or something yeah. like that yeah yeah what, what a traditional I, I can't think of the the caller's name but yes that that's it's just if you know paul feinbaum you know yes. exactly what we're talking about so that wraps up uh, basically news and notes. There's not a whole not lot a going quiet on this week, week, really, other than the test. But anything big that we missed? I mean, I saw that Santino Ferrucci was complaining 
and the arrow screen aka wanting his reputation fixed um okay whatever good luck with that um and and then jay fry did say that uh the indycar chassis not even close to the same as 2012 well i mean the the core of it the cell is the same right they added the arrow screen they added different things but they've added so many different features to it blah blah blah. and remember like the majority of these they're they're not Majority of them are not the original DW12s. Like they're, no. they're getting new models. They get new tubs every right. so many years. Yeah, but it's still the same mo- you know, the same basic design. But they they've they've kind of said, oh, it's not the same chassis or not the same tub because we've added so many different things and changed it. Which you know, whatever. I guess. I think the other thing I want to touch on that that is interesting. So TV ratings uh, come out for the previous weekend NASCAR at Phoenix down significantly 1.93 rating 3.4 million viewers for the race at phoenix down from a 2.33 3.991 million viewers last year we're seeing about a half a million drop off without chase elliott now is this truly the chase elliott effect happening uh, in nascar right now i mean he is their headline star is he that big of a draw though or is oh it yeah just- apparently i mean this is multiple races in a row they've been down about a half million but i think they've been down every race this year haven't they not to the extent of a half a million, but I don't mm-hmm. think they've been up a single race yet this year. So something's going on. I don't know if Chase Elliott's the the primary reason, maybe the primary reason why it's a half a million dollar or half a million, half a million people drop as opposed to maybe 200,000. But at the same time, uh, Cup not trending in the right direction early on in the season. I, I, I'm pretty sure all four of their races so far have been down ratings wise from last year. I believe so. In fact, Daytona uh, was uh, down slightly. A four four eight point one seven million viewers. That's down seven percent in ratings, eight percent in viewership from last year. So it's yeah, this this is a bit of a surprise, right? We've seen this rebirth of motorsports, but declines. At least when we had all three on previous weekend, declines for all three from the previous year. So it's just something to monitor. We'll see if it continues for Cup, if it continues for Formula One, who's at Jeddah this weekend in Saudi Arabia. And then, of course, uh, once we have race number two in IndyCar here in about seven or eight weeks' time, or it feels like that. Time for Tweets of the Week. We, we finally had some good tweets. What do we have? Some wittiness out there? Yeah. So, first one, Dana Kapatrick posted uh, this video uh, talking about the moon landing truth. Oh, gosh. Which, one, as I always joke, People say, oh, the moon landing was faked, and, and I always say, oh, you believe in the moon. Interesting. <laughs> uh, no, I do believe in the moon. It's a joke, everyone. Uh, let's let's not take it too seriously. But uh, Christopher DeHard, uh, C. DeHard on Twitter, tired, the moon landing was faked, wired, the moon isn't real. I will like Stealing anything your like material. That. Yeah. Hey, it's fine. Feel free. <laughs> I'm not the first to come up with that one. So that's the first tweet. The second one from Bob Pachris. Uh, someone replied, I don't see target practice on the Chicago schedule. Will they use bulletproof windows on the cars? Will pit crew members be required to wear bulletproof vest? Safety first, safety in all caps. Uh, he quote tweeted this person, uh, racing in a city location is an attempt to broaden the fan base. No matter crime rate, bad things can happen at any venue, but I wouldn't expect you to know that just like you didn't know that the windshields already are bulletproof <laughs> in case of flying debris from other cars. <laughs> well, let's take down. Just because the Chicago crime rate is whatever it is doesn't mean the entire city of Chicago is just some crime-ridden city. Downtown is relatively safe in Chicago. Oh, yeah. Uh, you go south side, yeah. There's certain neighborhoods 
that you don't want to go in. Just like in any city. Yeah, just like in any city, right? So it's just uh, a stupid tweet that Bob Pockers responded to. Just the takedown that he used, though. Yeah, pretty much. I, I thought was great. So yeah. that's Tweets of the Week. Time for our Random Split Air Driver of the Week. All right, we're going. We're keeping it in uh, in Speed Wendy. And I thought we talked about this guy, but I don't have it on my list. Uh, Stevie Reeves from 1998 IRL. I feel like we've talked about him and before. Because I think the big claim, of, claim to fame for him was his spotting after his racing career. And he was the spotter for Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the 2004 Indy 5, or Daytona 500, excuse me. We definitely his talked first about win him. in the event. Yeah, so uh, Stevie Reeves, I'm going to put him on my list, but for those that missed that episode and missed uh, talking about Stevie Reeves, raced in 1998 in the IRL and actually for Pagan Racing that was owned by Jack and Alan Pagan, were businessmen out of Texas. Um, did very limited racing and only did one race, I think it was Charlotte, in 1998 and then three races in night in 2000 excuse me uh he did it for logan racing so pagan racing was around and stevie i want to keep wanting to say stevie nick stevie reeves <laughs> did just one race in 98 and then three for 2000 it was atlanta kentucky and texas two that year in 2000 then he went uh, before that was in NASCAR for several years, raced for the likes of Whitaker Racing, Andretti Laird Racing. Do you remember that? No. 96, 97? Me neither. I don't know what that is. Curb Racing Team IGA. Yeah, these were all in uh, the Bush Series, but I don't know what the Andretti Laird Racing was. it like a John Andretti venture? I don't even know. Uh, but I found that interesting. Uh, but then eventually became uh, a spotter, like we said, in uh, racing afterwards, was employed in 2005 by Dale Earnhardt Incorporated, spotted for Paul Menard. He drove in the USAC Silver Crown Series. He actually moved to Hendrick and was a spotter for Jimmy Johnson. And once uh, with him as spotter, Johnson won 16 races and the 07 and 08 season championships. So this is fascinating. Andretti Laird Racing was based in Charlotte, created when its two principals split from the CAA Performance Group. Okay. which owns the NASCAR, at the time, Bush Series Fords driven by Stevie Reeves. So crew chief huh. uh, split, uh, worked with Reeves. Uh, they had big A auto parts with John Andretti. That began okay, back so John in Andretti 94 was Daytona. Gotcha. So uh, still spotting, I believe, Stevie Reeves. He was a spotter for um, Brian Priest and recently joined the last couple of years Christopher Bell's team. Um, with Levine Family Racing. So, Stevie Reeves still around in the sporting world. I, I feel like, yeah, he's a guy that we've talked about, put him on my list, but I wanted to talk about that Andretti Laird Racing because I had no idea mm-hmm. what that was. So, that's uh, this week's Random Split Air Driver of the Week, Stevie Reeves. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, uh, more news breaks. Hopefully, we'll have the Indy 500 uh, entry list uh, figured out by next week. Hopefully, that's to come Next week, for Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.